Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we have Jordan with us and she is an ISFJ. And today we will be contrasting ISFJ and INFJ. She is a relationship coach at Restored and Rewired and I will have her links down below. And she is a very warm human being. Like the first thing you will notice about her is that her voice will hit you with its very warm demeanor. So hello, Jordan. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I was wondering, what do you think are the differences between INFJ and ISFJ? <laughs> hmm, that's a good one, because I also find a lot of commonalities between the two. I guess the first thing off the top of my head would be how much more introspected, um, well, introspective, I guess I should say, that they are. Um, they have a really uncanny way of knowing things that maybe normal people would know. <laughs> um, much broader view, uh, a scope, a frame of mind, I guess, um, where I feel like ISFJs tend to be much more narrow focused. Um, yeah, those are those are some of the first two I can think of. Jordan, that was a great summary on ISFJ versus INFJ. I was wondering for yourself, how did you know you were ISFJ instead of INFJ? <laughs> That's actually... Um, that's a that's a good question because I think I always tested ISFJ uh, as an adult, but when I was a teenager, I actually tested INFJ. Um, so I guess it was through <laughs> I guess it was through going uh, going on my own personal search and diving into the cognitive functions myself um, and trying to see all of the differences in my own personal life from SI and NI. Um, and then it became evidently clear <laughs> that I was not um, an intuitive, although I do prefer my intuitive function. I'm very close with it. It's, uh, it's a very, it's like a little baby. It's, it's my precious little baby, but uh, I do not have it as a strength. That is so interesting. Your Jordan, one of your strengths is your ability to attach symbols to people. Like you're good at knowing what that person, what they like, and you like you're like this person is like gummy bears or like you'll have an <laughs> object associated with them. And I was wondering, mm -hmm. could you um, maybe exemplify that with me? Like I've never heard you compare me to a symbol. So I was wondering, what symbols do you attach to Joyce? <laughs> no, I would have to think about that. Um, I think that you're a sweet, sweet soul. I like anytime I hear your voice, I, I hear the warmth and um, the melodic sound of the, the ebbs and flows of it. Um, so anytime I hear your voice, it's very distinct. And I just think sweetness. Wow. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me tear up, Jordan. <laughs> You have, you, have, you have an innocence about you, too, that I really love. Um, I'm not even sure how old you are, but I feel like there's just this like this whimsy about you that's very uh, just innocent and sweet. That's so nice of you. Maybe it's my intuitive airheadedness, that whimsiness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I think, Jordan, you have like the most melodic voice ever. Like I find that SFJs. Um, the FJ is already melodic, but with the SFJ, it, it increases it. I don't know why. Um, for my MBTI instructor, when I was taking the official MBTI, she was an ESFJ, and her voice was the prettiest voice I've ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it reminds me of Jordan's. Oh, <laughs> sweet. 
Um, yes, the ESFJs I know in my life also have that very, like, it's like almost like a mom's tone, you know, like something that you would imagine a, a very motherly person to have. Um, it's very nurturing and very um, accommodating and like, come closer and let me take care of you kind of voice. <laughs> That's so true. Um, I totally agree. <laughs> And so, Jordan, you mentioned how INFJs, they kind of, like, have a broader perspective. What do you mean by that when you say that? Yeah, I think naturally um, an I wants to look deeper into the implications of things, and so they take a broader perspective and um, just trying to gain uh, multiple viewpoints, um, kind of, like, think of it as, like, a maybe like a drone or a bird, bird's eye view. So like they take in a broader scope. They're looking much further down the line um, where SI or specifically ISFJs are looking more at like what's right in front of them and then picking apart all the little details and the pieces that, that they see right directly in front of them. So that's a talent in itself too, to be able <laughs> to n notice the present or like n to notice the reality around you. Because um, sometimes NI will detach itself and it will have, it'll be several layers um, kind of detached from reality as it's looking at reality. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a type of beauty in not having that detachment that NI DOMs have. <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely see that a lot. I, I was raised by an INFJ, my mother. And um, there were so many things that I admired about her that maybe I didn't see until I was an adult because I was always so practical and detail focused. And I felt like she missed a lot of the details. But now looking back um, as a mom myself, I recognize all of the the beauty and the, the broader scope that she brought to things. She always wanted to expound our understanding of things, um, asking a lot of why questions. Um, really trying to get a, a better understanding of what we were dealing with or what was going on um, from a bigger perspective. And sometimes I know as a child, it was like more over my head because um, she was always very focused on like spiritual things and spiritual implications of things. But now I, th that's something I've really grown to appreciate about her that she's implemented into my life where I often, <laughs> I often get, um, caught up in the details. And so sometimes, you know, the, the, the saying, I'm not sure which direction it goes, but um, I see the trees and forget the forest, you know what I mean? And so I can kind of get like nitpicky about things where she was very easygoing and very just, she just had a broader concept of things than I did. That is so like eloquently put, you're a great speaker, Jordan. <laughs> um, also, Jordan, uh, there's some rustling with your headphones. Oh, I'll try to like bend the wire to see if it'll like stay away from my shirt. For Is sure. Or I could just hold it up maybe. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Is awesome. that better? Yeah, that's way better. <laughs> okay. okay, sorry if that messed up any audio. <laughs> Oh no, it's okay. It's it's a life lesson when there are audio issues. It's kind of like, you know that you'll never have the ideal circumstance, so you just gotta work with what you have. And that's the lesson we get from audio issues. So yes, true. <laughs> tell me a little bit about your experience with SI. Oh gosh, I don't know if I could <laughs> limit it to just one, uh, one interview, but I definitely think that the biggest takeaway I have of SI is its need for sameness. And um, it, it, I mean, we know it often gets uh, called like rigid. 
um, because we like to have a structure that is comfortable, that is repetitive, that is reliable. And so I'm, I'm very much a scheduler and a, a routine type of person. Um, and I feel like that it helps create balance in my life. It helps me to prepare for things that might come up that I wasn't expecting um, because everything else in my, in my life, ideally, <laughs> is, um, is, uh, is, not redundant, that's not the right word, like, but just repetitive. And it's, um, I like to make things comfortable for other people in a way that feels familiar to them. Um, so again, it's like SI is a good word for it is repetition. Um, and let's see, what are some other things that I can think of? I think that, um, yeah, familiarity is, is another word that I would put with it in just creating um, comfort around things that just seem, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like my mind is going blank right now. <laughs> that's that's beautiful, Jordan. Um, you had this example of you and coffee cups and how you like, you'll change up your coffee cup and that's your NE coming up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. I like things to be uh, the same so that I can, um, I just, it's easier thinking. It's more practical for me. And um, I do like to add in little sprinkles of newness, um, things that are manageable, things that I can control um, and that aren't so different that it makes me uncomfortable, but they're different enough that I get to experience something new and um, exciting. <laughs> That is so awesome. So the example I'm referring to is when um, Jordan was telling us about how she switches up her coffee mugs and that's like her any coming to play. So it's like this manageable and amount of newness into your life, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I do that with like a lot of little things. Um, like I said, things that I can manage personally that aren't being forced upon me or um, like just really like rash changes. Um, those are very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, interesting. I guess to contrast that with myself is that I'm kind of indifferent to routines or sameness. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of am indifferent to anything that is repetitive. So the thing is, I, I might not even notice that it's going on. Like, because I'm so in my head, and I'm thinking about implications and mm -hmm. the, the scope of human nature. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This, this physical need. Oh yeah, it'd probably be better if I regimented this. <laughs> yes, regiment, it's that's like, another good word. <laughs> yeah, so maybe SI has its tiny regiments that makes it feel comfort, a sense of psychological comfort. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it also has to do with a sense of physical familiarity, um, creating a, a physical appearance of something that looks similar to something else um, that was comforting to you or that brought like a sense of peace. Um, so things that are really physically abrupt or um, like flashy or things that you wouldn't normally see in an everyday uh, situation um, are also very unnerving, um, I think, to most SI people. And, and I think as far as um, we like to keep things very symmetrical, it, it brings a sense of balance and order to things that appears like even. So again, with that repetitivity and that sameness. 
I kind of see like maybe SI takes the present and it contrasts it with its past and it tries to take something that worked in the past or that mattered in the past and to maybe recreate it in the present. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, I think that's why SI tends to be very sentimental about things and trying to recreate tradition and constructs that um, they were either brought up with or things that happened in their life that really meant a lot to them. That is so precious. You're like taking the treasures of the past and you're bringing it back. Yeah, Sorry, I've been important to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and sorry about my voice, guys. I, I'm sick like 24 seven. I'm, I'm, I have more days where, where I'm sick than I'm not. So that's probably why you hear fluctuations in my voice. Yeah. But um, that's so amazing. It's like you guys take treasures from the past and you bring them back so people can also experience the greatness of it too. <laughs> we're like, we're so indebted to you as, you know, a society. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> to contrast your experience with my experience. So I would say that I'm kind of indifferent to the past. In fact, like it, I feel detached from the past. Um, and it's more like if I'm referencing the past, it's to figure out a why of the past. So it's going like, does the past help explain something in the current? And if it doesn't, I don't take the physical concrete thing, but if it has an explanation, um, then I might think about it and consider it. But it's almost like it's thought fuel. The past is only useful as thought fuel. And if it doesn't provide good thought, then I am completely cut off from it. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yes. That's so cool that <laughs> we get to contrast our thoughts. Um, and I wanted to ask you a bit about any. So what is your experience of any? I'm, I'm very protective over my baby N.E., probably a little bit too protective, a little smother mother, <laughs> if you will. Um, <laughs> like I mentioned, it's, it's got, I, I really appreciate it when it's things that I can manage, things that are um, changes or possibilities that I haven't vetted out yet. Um, I want them to be something that is easily controlled so that I can adapt to it as I'm comfortable um, because being that I lead with SI, I don't adapt to change very easily. It takes me quite a while actually to warm up to, uh, like a new routine or something added to my routine. So those things have to be things that I am able to give permission to, <laughs> but it is like a very sacred spot for me as far as like creativity, innovation, ingenuity. Um, and I have a really I don't know. It's it's like a very whimsical property to me, and it it brings a sense of balance to my SI in that it allows me to sit and reminisce about my past and and conjure up new information, things that I maybe didn't notice before. Um, and then I I use I fuel NE with a lot of journaling um, because SI wants to be able to um, anchor things. And that NE creative expression comes in through my writing and my journaling. Um, I love creative writing. Um, I love allegories. And so I've always had a, a passion for writing allegorical novels and short stories um, and things like that. I'm. It's a very childlike sense to it. And I mentioned that it's like a baby to me. So it's got a very childlike nature to it. Um, and it comes out when I am interacting with my children. Um, 
I can use it to allow me to go from mommy mode to playmate mode, um, especially with my little children, to where I can interact with them on a very childlike level. And I love also coupling that with SI and being able to take all these little details from my interactions with them and how they play and their behaviors um, and keep records of them, like little totems, if you will. Um, and that helps me a lot in my in my coaching because I do a lot of parent coaching as well. So you are a very creative person, Jordan. <laughs> and I guess the ways um, SE throws me out of the loop is sometimes I like reacting in the moment. I'm kind of afraid of of being in the moment, and I kind of need to prepare. Yeah, I definitely yeah. understand that for sure. Yeah. Cool. Do you relate to it? Do you not? <laughs> um, I don't really have a problem being in the present. Now, if there is too much, um, too many variables going on in my external environment, um, too many things changing. So I sometimes I'll attribute that to like movement or sound or like sensory overload um, mm -hmm. because I lead with SI, which is like a more quiet sensory function. And SE is like a really big sensory function. Um, I feel like sometimes, you know, things can throw me out of the present that are too big. Um, but I definitely can relate to it in the sense of like being afraid of NE changes. Um, I can find myself getting like stuck in a rut really easy, stuck in a routine and unwilling to adapt to new and incoming information. You know, and I, I have five children and then my husband. So, you know, there's there's seven variables in our home then, and we're all different types. And so we're all going to uh, have different needs and things. And so trying to adapt to individual people and, and stuff, sometimes I can be afraid of that, especially if it's not something that I'm familiar with and haven't dealt with before or doing an interview for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a new experience too. <laughs> I hope it's a pleasant one, although I didn't give you much preparation. So that might oh, like, no, this is fun. So this is actually good for my, e because it's, it's, it's laid back and it's one-on-one, -on -one, which is great. And so even though it's changed and it's new, it's it's in a comfortable, safe setting. So so this is good. This is good. And we're having fun. Oh, so. that's great. <laughs> Glad this can be your a safe zone for your NE. <laughs> awesome. Maybe we can talk about the FE and your experience with FE. <laughs> okay. Um, I see FE personally um, based on like group constructs. And I like to explain that in a way that's, it's really hard to separate FE from SI or, or like it's SI flavoring sometimes. So I'd be interested to see um, what your takeaways are from your FE-NI pairing. For me, FE and social constructs are all about like expectations in a, in a social dynamic. And that could be anything from a small group or a one-on-one -on -one interaction or a larger group, like say a church setting. Um, and it's all about what is the external feedback telling me about the group needs and what's going on in this group and what part do I play within the group to help facilitate um, harmony or peace or everybody getting along? Um, and how do I meet individual needs and be part of the, the whole, but still stay individual? So, um, so yeah, it's 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 a learning curve. So <laughs> that's so interesting. 
Um, I guess my experience with NI is it feels like a harmony cycle. So I'm looking for the cycles of harmony in relationship or if there's no harmony in relationships. And I'm like, so why is this relationship chaotic? Or like what agreements, what social agreements need to be there for people to get along and not fight and to not blow up a relationship? So it's like seeing harmony as a abstract cycle and seeing how to maintain the good parts of relationships and it's kind of like what is, is necessary to make things work uh, between people in a way that they get along and they don't have to fight like is it the tone of voice that makes people irritated at each other or is it the way that they talk to each other is it that one person likes acts of service and the other likes words of affirmation and if you guys knew about that then you guys would get along more. But it's kind of seeing harmony as a cycle that goes up or a cycle that goes down. Mm. And feeling the the big picture uh, impact of the harmony or, or lack of therefore around you, if that makes sense <laughs> in any way. Yeah, and I love the way that you're looking at it from a more abstract and um, intentional perspective, you know, like looking for the intent and, you know, the whys and, you know, that's all something that has um, inspired me about NIs, that they're always looking for the whys. And so that's something that I've definitely had to train myself to look it from, from that direction of it. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting. <laughs> and so if ISFJs are less inclined to look at the why, what is the, the ISFJ uh, mm-hmm. perspective looking at? So when when you mentioned tonality, that's definitely something that I've looked at before. And the um, the assumptions that that somebody would take from that tone um, or a body language or especially things for me as far as SI goes, again, with the sameness, like if this has been a repetitive thing um, that has caused disharmony, then we need to figure out what to do to alter it. Um, so if things usually go down the same road that lead to um, to this conflict, where is the point where we can stop it? So I'm looking more Details. at that have led up to this point where you, see, you t- seem to be looking at the, the deeper implications of why this led up to this point. SI is sameness, but I think it's maybe sameness in a more concrete way, like the, like a, the same sensory or understanding that part I wonder if NI is about like looking, finding similarities and patterns. So even if like the concrete is completely different, where does all these jumbled up SE real time reel of information point to a same abstract pattern? So mm. I wonder if that might be a point of similarity, but difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I definitely, I'm married to an, an SE person. And so I I noticed that with him, he is more focused on like what's going on right now, where my SI is looking at what led up to this point. Um, And so I can see how like the on the flip side, using NI and SI, they're both pattern recognition processes where they're learning information and creating a pattern um, from that information, where SI is looking at any sort of past experiences, any prior knowledge about this one situation or how they can apply a previous situation to the current situation. 
<clears throat> excuse me, now I'm going to have throat issues. <laughs> NI, <laughs> NI seems to be looking at um, implied patterns. Um, X, Y, and Z usually ends up this way. So we've met X and Y, so it's probably going to end in Z based on my predictions, if that makes sense. Is that accurate? Yeah, that sounds very accurate. <laughs> implied patterns, yeah. Does SI have anything it, it implies? Um, I think that SI, I think one of the things that I have to be mindful of is that I don't project past experiences onto current experiences. I can use the information to help me deduce and make decisions based on what I've experienced, but I have to be careful that I, I recognize that this is a completely new experience. Um, nothing about this is the same and therefore shouldn't be treated exactly the same um, because this might be a new person, a new experience. This person might have experienced some growth since then. And so it's not fair for them for me to attribute um, my own past experience, my own subjective knowledge to this current situation, um, because I feel like that inhibits growth as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, that was lovely. Um, that brings me back to a point. So like with SE, it's kind of like you feel like your experience of the sensory now is divorced from past experiences. So it's interesting how you brought up that you bring the past into the present. It's kind of like SE just deals with the here and now, and it doesn't refer to the past. It's kind of like cut off. It's divorced. It's... Uh, separated from the past and it's just taking each new impression new one. there's this saying every time you put your foot into a river it is a new river so the particles will hit your foot slightly differently each time you put your foot in the river so therefore you're having a slightly different experience and therefore it's a new impression every time and that's how it feels like for se it's like taking each new impression as a new one yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that's a very important lesson I've learned from SE. You know, like I said, yeah. I'm married to an ISFP. So that's um, very valuable takeaways there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That is so cool. <laughs> and I was wondering, Jordan, um, what's your experience of TI? <laughs> um, I definitely have to. I love TI. Um, it's like my research function. I could research things all day long about any given topic that sparks my interest. Um, I want to know everything there is to know about it. And I will look at multiple resources to um, to find same knowledge, um, you know, to where all of the piece, all of the dots are lining up and everything is congruent. Um, I also have to be careful with TI, though, because as my tertiary function, I know that I can overvalue it and think that it's more developed than it actually is. And so I fear that this sometimes makes me look like a know-it-all um, when I probably only have about 75% of accurate information, but I pretend I have 90 or more. Um, so yeah, but it is very important for me when I'm getting information that it's vetted through SI as well as TI, that it's credible information coming from from reliable sources, uh, but also that I vet it myself. How does this information align with me? What I already know, what I already believe? How does it fit the group dynamic that I'm applying it to? Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a subjective function, so it's going to be um, personal and um, finding personal truths and beliefs. 
Um, and it's definitely a challenge because as an SI and an Enneagram one, I'm very prone to uh, following the leader, so to speak. Um, so basically, if you were to tell me something that sounded right, I would probably automatically align with you because I assume you know what you're talking about. Um, so that TI process has to really vet out, does this align with me and my own personal beliefs and what I know personally to be true? So it's interesting. That is <laughs> such, yeah, that is so well explained. Jordan, what are some more differences you see in INFJs and ISFJs? <laughs> Um, okay, so this has definitely been something I've gleaned again from my mom, but also the other INFJs that I've become really close to over the years. Um, this incredible introspection about meaning and the deeper, the, bleh, I'm getting tongue tied, the deeper implications of things. Um, like my mom, she sees meaning and uh, purpose in everything. Um, everything has like an, an alternate supernatural connotation. Um, and, you know, it's very easy for me to get caught up in my everyday life and not really think about those sort of things. I'm, I'm just really focused on my tasks or, or what's going on that I need to tend to right now. Um, but stopping to talk to my mom or other INFJs, I tend to go to INFJs for any sort of like counsel <laughs> because I know that they're going to like dig really deep into what I'm saying, like reading between the lines kind of thing um, mm -hmm. and get me to think on a much deeper level. So I, I really appreciate that about them. <laughs> That's beautiful, Jordan. Yeah, I kind of see intuition is kind of like trying to see the the, the spiritual um, things are in first that lead to the physical. So it's like, what are these underlying factors that lead to the physical things? But it's like paying more attention to that the spiritual realm that leads to eventual physicalities. What I mean by that, it sounds really woo-woo, right? Uh, but I guess in an example, a mother starts to be angry at her kids and resentful and only love the pets. And so it's kind of like looking at the spiritual causes for that. Like, does she feel neglected in her relationships with her, her kids? Does she feel taken advantage of? Does she feel guilty for anything? Does she feel like there's anything unresolved, that intuitive inclination might be to look for the unresolved things that are beyond what you can see. Like, and you're always jumping to that sometimes too quickly and inferring like meaning there sometimes when it's just a thing. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And um, like I said, growing up with it as part of just my everyday life, I didn't give it enough credit um, back then, but now I definitely do. And it's definitely something that I've learned to integrate into my own life to where I'm not so quick to discredit um, those more abstract concepts. I am actually quicker now to apply them than I would the sensory elements because it is typical for me to attribute representatives to things. Um, like, for instance, some of the things that you mentioned would be typical things that I would do, like, like saying, um, this person is sad. Okay, so what led up to her being sad and trying to um, trying to read into information that I may not have all of it, but knowing this person's history, I can deduce what I think maybe made her sad. Um, that sort of thing. 
um, but I'm I'm taking cues from her physical representation um, and things like that. So I, I've definitely learned how to mesh them together through what I've learned from NI. And granted, I do not do it well um, because it's not a developed function for me. But I think it speaks to the beauty of learning to um, glean from other people that use other functions more developed. I liked when you mentioned SI and history. So I wondered if you could go a bit into that because I, I see SI as like gleaning gold nuggets from the, the person's history because it knows that a person's past really affects them. With NI, I think I'm indifferent to that. So it's, it's like if it plays an important role, then I will determine that. But if it doesn't, then it, I'm generally indifferent to a person's past history and what that led up to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that a person's individual history plays a huge part in their future growth. I think that if there's um, too many things in their past that haven't been dealt with or resolved, then it's impossible for them to move forward and, um, and improve in the things that they are trying to improve. Um, mm -hmm. For me personally, I have so much intricate detail about my past. And I don't know if that's the same for all SI people, but for me, I definitely, um, I, have, I have very vivid memories as far back as two years old um, and I in chronological order. <laughs> so it's very strange to me. Um, but I also always kept records of things. Um, I've been a huge memorabilia collector ever since I was little. Uh, um, journals and anything that marks a presence of time. That is so beautiful. I guess, do you have photo albums then? Like a lot of photo albums. Yeah, wow. I do. I do. Although the more technology we integrate into our lives, the less physical photo albums I have, uh, which is something I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get back to because I used to love scrapbooking and things like that. But, you know, obviously now with technology, it's <laughs> less convenient um, to do that. But um, journals were always very big for me um, growing up. I have journals. I think I've, I started my first journal when I was like 10 or nine, something like that. Um, and I still have them today, all of them. Um, and they're very important to me looking forward to like the future and my kids being able to have those one day and um, like relate to me on some level from that age in their life or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about your saving the timestamps. That's really interesting when you mentioned the word chronological. It's very like sensory to remember things happening in a chronological way. It's what we learn in our, our certification as an MBTI practitioner that with sensing, you, you remember the facts as they occurred. So the order in which they occurred too. Um, whereas intuitives will kind of arrange it by the order of the most interesting idea. So it's like, this sparks an interesting idea. So we'll put that in front and then we'll arrange it like that. <laughs> okay, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> when you remember something from the past, I was wondering what you specifically remember. For me, uh, what I remember from the past is how an idea evolves from the past. So how like how something has contributed to an evolution is something I consider, but it's not like, I don't start there. I kind of start with the present thing. 
Um, and then I try to trace back its evolution, which may or may not have to do with its past. Um, so I was wondering if you relate, if you don't relate. <laughs> I can definitely see some things in my life where, where it's happened like that, where I'll realize something, a, a, a milestone maybe that I've met and wondering how I got to that point and then I can trace it backwards. Um, but for the most part, I think I, as I've reminisced on my past so much, um, I can see how one event led to another, led to another, led to another, and then, oh, that's why this thing is how it is now. Um, and so I kind of, I guess it's kind of more in reverse. Cool. So you would say that you reverse understand implications or you forward understand implications? Is that abstract? No, no, I understand. <clears throat> I definitely understand what you're, um, what you're talking about. I'm, I'm trying to think if it's, if it's relevant for me, I think, like I said, I think in some cases it has been that way. Um, the more growth I experience and the more into my intuitive functions I try to become by nature, I think it's, it's just more from me thinking about a memory and then realizing how it, uh, how it affected my growth today or, or somewhere else in the past and, um, things that I learned from that experience. Interesting. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm trying to think about how it relates back to me. Um, and I guess like for me, I'm, I'm less inclined to reference concrete memories or if at all, sometimes um, it's kind of detached to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why mm -hmm. I keep saying that word. It's almost like it feels detached because I, I use it as a form of analysis rather than um as a sentimental thing so it's almost like if i look at it from a from a cliff's edge like what is this telling me about the whys of something and if it doesn't if i'm not able to glean that then i become indifferent to it or even as i'm i don't even know how to explain it so it's like my brain is constantly searching for the why and that's the most important thing and everything else is it has a shred of indifference so that means every physical thing that surrounds me feels a little bit indifferent to me because unless unless i see it linking back to a central why i will not see it as that important and then i'll just feel kind of detached to it I don't know if that makes sense at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely does. And to use the same analogy of the cliff, I would relate my experience to climbing up the cliff from from like the valley below going upward and then meeting milestones along the way or, or, or markers, I guess you could say. Um, and, and I go back over experiences over and over and over again to try to find new emerging information and... Um, and try to find the implications in that and and what it evolved into along the way. So I guess you looking over the cliff, I I see myself looking up the cliff and trying to um, travel the the path upwards. I don't know but, if that, that would be a really poor use of analogy, but it's <laughs> my best go. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. It's like you start with the details and then you climb the clip to get to the big picture but I think yeah. intuitives start with the big picture and they have to 
figure out the details. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so it's all about the order in which you do something. So everyone does everything, but we have like a natural inclination or like a magnetism to choose mm -hmm. a certain way first. <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, and I want to ask you a bit about your INFJ mom and some differences you saw between you and her. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm really, really close to my mom. Um, as the oldest child, you know, a lot of responsibility fell on me to kind of be her right hand. Um, and very, very, very early on, I, I noticed that she seemed uh, disconnected um, or um, what's the word that you had used? Detached? Detached, yes. Um, I felt like she was very detached from reality. And of course, I was too young to really understand any of that um, until, you know, I started learning about type and then it all made sense. But um, there would be lots of times where I would get really disgruntled with her lack of presence and um, seeming really untethered to things. Um, you know, you could be talking to her and in mid-sentence, she would just leave the room and you're like, what happens? And then she would come back and she, she would apologize because she knew that what she did was like considered rude or whatever. Um, and I just always thought that was so strange. Um, or she would be in the middle of reading and she would get up to, to go in her room and she would just shut the door and be there for a while. Um, I homeschooled myself primarily all through high school um, because I was just very studious and disciplined to do that, I guess. And she was very happy to relinquish that responsibility to me because she <laughs> felt like she it was very hard for her to stay um, focused um, and, and, and present. Um, but there were so many things now looking back, I realized what she was doing. She was going through a conflict. And so she would, she would go into a, a quiet space to really try to um, refresh herself and things like that. Or she would have a thought in the middle of another thought in the middle of what you were talking about. And she didn't know how to like make all those pieces match up. So the only thing to do was to leave and then come back. You know, it was almost like, break away and then retether kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just some things like that, that were uh, just differences between the two of us. Um, she would always say how she admired my ability to keep a schedule, even from a really young age. She was very indifferent to time, would lose track of time very easily and wouldn't know how to get it back and things like that. Um, but now things that I really value about her, her presence is that anytime you're talking about something abstract or really deep and emotional, she is there 100%. She is focused and she is completely in tune with you. And I think that that's just because it breaks away from the everyday norm um, conversations about just, you know, mundane life. And it goes to something much more rooted and meaningful. Um, and so she is definitely my go-to um, on conversations like that. Sharing TI, we geek out over, you know, uh, WebMD and, and like all these different <laughs> kinds of things that take, uh, take research and we're, we're both science nuts. Um, we love anatomy and physiology and biology and things like that. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so happy you have such a strong relationship with your mother. 
Yeah, yeah, it's definitely taken um, purposeful and conscious removal of my own state of mind to try to adapt to hers. Yeah, interesting. So where would you say is the biggest sort of conflict in an INFJ-ISFJ relationship? Um, okay, so one of my best friends is an INFJ, and we were not very close for about two or three years, and I never really quite understood why, and I realized later that it was because most everything that I could think of, because I'm a really good small talker, I can fill space really easy with just regular everyday details, conversation, um, and she couldn't for some reason, and I never understood why until I started learning type, and then it all made sense that, okay, I've got to dig deeper. If I want to have any sort of like real um, solid relationship with her, I'm going to have to find something really meaningful and purposeful to connect with her about. Um, and so, yeah, so we started talking philosophy and psychology and spirituality and theology, and there it was. Um, so I definitely think that one of the biggest inhibitors of relationships between sensors and intuitives is, is definitely going to be their own personal limitations for their preferences of interest. Um, and I think that it takes getting outside of your own bubble, if you will, your own preferences, your own interests, your own hobbies to really reach that other person where they are and connect with them on their level in order to really get a good and grounded relationship. Yeah. That's so true about how um, I I have difficulty with small talk about just day-to-day -day things. It's almost like with intuitives, they selectively take parts of reality that let them ideate more further, if that makes sense. So they, mm -hmm. they can't take in everything of, of the world, but they're more of, they does this spur... A, a thought about psychology, about philosophy. And if it doesn't, there is a level of indifference to it. Or maybe it's just me and I have some weird thing. <laughs> no, I definitely, no, I think that that tends to be the case for uh, specifically NI. I'm not sure if it's so much the case for NE, but um, no, I definitely hear you. <laughs> Another thing with NI is like um, Megan Lavoda a way that she differentiates intuition and sensing is that do you start out with the complicated in order to understand the simple or do you start out with the simple in order to understand the complicated so mm -hmm. intuitives their natural tendencies they need to understand it in its complexity in order to understand anything simple so it's kind of like to understand a specific way of how to do something they have to understand the complexity of how it fits into a bigger why before they can understand it in any simple way. So it's like, it's almost like we cannot absorb it until we we get the why. So that's why we need it so much because it's the primary thing for anything to go into our minds. It has to pass the why in order for anything to stick. With the sensing quality, it seems like they can, or, or you guys can understand it simply first even without needing to understand the why, but still absorb it. That's like an actual talent because it's like you can understand the simple and then work your way to the complex, which makes more sense. Like this seems like a an easier way to go. Like not, not an easier way, but like it's I like think, a... Yeah, I think our world has kind of made it seem like that, that that's an easier way to learn things. 
Um, but I, I think it also has its struggles too, because we we do struggle to see the bigger picture um, and the more complexities of things. And we we almost get comfortable in the surface level. And I think that's a really dangerous place to stay, especially if you're talking about personal development and growth, um, because anything that's not complex, not challenging, it's not going to, you're not going to improve anything. Um, but I do feel like that our world, our society is is created for sensors um, because it's easier. <laughs> but it, it's also, it seems like the in, intuitive way, like it, it seems like it makes more sense to understand something simply and then complexly instead mm -hmm. of doing it the other way around, which is complex to simple. That's like, it kind of seems like intuitives are making it harder on themselves <laughs> than it has to be. Maybe, maybe. I definitely think there's pros and cons with each one, but I love that distinction or that description rather of of the two. I think that that makes perfect sense and definitely resonates with me as a sensor um, and, and aligns with what I know of intuitives as well, so. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> And I guess I want to ask you, okay, one more question. <laughs> if you were to see someone right now and you had to tie break between an INFJ and an ISFJ, what would you look for when considering which one of these types that they are? <laughs> okay. Um, are you talking about, say, like, like in an interview or just a normal interaction or what sort of context? Yeah. I guess um, in an interview or in an interaction, we'll do both. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, an, an everyday interaction, like say at the grocery store or something, might be a little bit more difficult. I feel like sensors are probably, like I said, easier at small talk and um, just normal, hey, how you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you um, kind of conversation. Um, and intuitives might be a little bit more hesitant or um, not as focused or might have trouble thinking about what, how they want to answer. Um, if I was doing an interview, I would probably look more for like how long it takes them to answer a question. Or um, I feel like sensors want to understand the, the question more like securely and really understand like um, if they're understanding <laughs> the, the wording correctly, um, where intuitives will just fill in the blanks and they will they will already assume what the person was intending through their question. Um, and also their their threshold for more abstract concepts. Sensors will normally have to have to ask for clarification for more abstract types of questions um, where intuitives tend to be able to pick up on that really easily, really quickly. Um, yeah, and and how much how much weight they can hold with certain topics? Can intuitives hold for a long time just normal everyday conversation um, about like your dogs and um, your job and that kind of thing? Um, and can sensors hold a conversation long about more abstract concepts like theology and and psychology and the weather and <laughs> how how the weather works and that kind of thing? Um, yeah, so those would be those would be little little hints, but I would definitely still have to vet it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing. And something you mentioned to me before is that like with ISFJs, they're more likely to refer to a past example, like a concrete example, to to prove a point. Whereas like intuitives tend to refer to like a 
conceptual idea to prove a point. And you're like, that's how you were able to tell the person you were profiling before was like an ISFJ instead of an INFJ. <laughs> yeah, I definitely look for the type of verbiage they use if they're very methodical and um, using a lot of analogies and metaphors and things like that versus um, like most of the things I've referenced, I'll pick something from my own personal life or history or experience um, to kind of contrast it with. Um, so I, I definitely see these as clues to sensor versus intuitives. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think they're very like smart ways of picking up on a person's speech pattern, whether or not they're sensor or intuitive, where the intuitive will describe things in a more abstract way and sensors may provide a, like an actual real life example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know if this is just SI or um, I noticed a lot of SE people do it too, but when they're giving information, they will start at one end and they'll fill in with a lot of details um, where intuitives tend to like ebb and flow in and out of a, um, a storyline. They might start in the middle and then like work their way back towards the beginning and then move back towards the middle um, where I feel like sensors tend to stay more like point A, B, C, D, you know, and like maybe not necessarily chronological, but still in that same time frame. Um, of a storyline. That's so cool. I wonder if like intuitives are kind of indifferent to the time frame, which is why they ebb and flow between yeah. the beginning, middle, and because it's not the time that they're focusing on. They're focusing on the idea that that thing represents. So then they're going out of order because they want to illustrate that idea in its full maximum capacity instead of conveying the facts correctly or mm -hmm. like in clearly. Mm -hmm. I should say. <laughs> yeah. And I think both are very keen on details, sensory sensors more on sensory details, obviously, and then intuitives more on the, uh, the implication details and, and more um, inflections and dress ups that they think might might uh, benefit the storyline or give like give more description and um, more feeling to it. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jordan, for illustrating that. It was so lovely to have you on. Um, like I said, Jordan is, you know, a lovely human being. She has a voice of a literal angel. Like her voice is so nice to listen to. Like it sounds like so melodic and so pure and so angelic. Um, I keep calling it angelic, but it's literally like your voice um, sounds like the textbook melodic voice and i was like wow that is a gorgeous voice i <laughs> but yeah you're also a very kind person and like when you care about your personality hacker family so basically me and jordan are classmates uh in the personality hacker profiler training and like you care about your classmates like they're your family and you make everyone have a sense of community and you like preserve the community that's so important to all of us and like i'm so thankful for that so like thank you for being you know just the caregiver of our our hearts because you know that's, that's okay amazing. now you are gonna have to shut it down <laughs> that is so sweet thank you <laughs> But yeah, it was nice talking to you. Um, I know, like, I hope everyone is staying safe during these times and that 
Um, if you like this video, like and subscribe, and also check Jordan out in the links below. And bye, guys. <laughs>